an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Taylor Swift is currently the most streamed artist in the world, and she's commandeered the media as she's embarked on her Eras tour around the globe. It's likely to be the highest grossing tour of all time, crossing a billion dollars. What's more is that she's just released her sixth studio album since 2020 and her third re-recording of her older material. She famously got in a spat with the new owner of her master recordings and decided to take it into her own hands and voice to create these mostly true to the original updates alongside a smorgasbord of bonus material. First, there was Fearless from 2008. Then Red from 2012. And now Speak Now, the last of her more country-leaning albums. Today, I want to listen to Speak Now, Taylor's version, to hear what is and maybe isn't working musically. I also want to look at how these re-recordings are faring and where this ambitious project may go next. Nate and Rihanna are out this week, so joining me in conversation is friend of the show, Lauren Michelle Jackson, American cultural critic, assistant professor of English and African American studies at Northwestern, author of White Negroes, When Cornrows Were in Vogue, and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation, and a contributing writer to The New Yorker, where in her review of Taylor Swift's Midnights, she said, I've always maintained that Swift is incapable of writing a bad song. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for having me. So it's been a minute since I've revisited Speak Now. How does it fit into Taylor's career? Speak Now has a interesting fit within the course of Taylor's albums. So if we think about Red as this kind of transition moment between the country or country pop of it all to a more sort of straight injection of, of pop, Speak Now is kind of I think of it almost as like fearless B-sides, <laughs> which is why I think the in the kind of course of re-recording, Speak Now still has that country sound. Ooh, I don't wanna grow up. Wish I'd never grown up. I could still be little. Oh. But Speak Now is not quite in that maturing contemplative moment of red but we're not quite out of the adolescent fury of fearless. And so we get Speak Now, which is this in-between, in-between album. What does the re-recording need to do to be a success? Is this merely a commercial exercise or do you feel like it's an aesthetic one as well? I mean, I guess the kind of easy option is to just say both. I mean, really the kind of straightforward purpose is 
you know, when you want to go back and listen to Speak Now, the idea is that you're going to reach for Taylor's version and not, you know, he who shall not be named's version, right? Or (laughs) (laughs) whoever's hands, right? These songs fall into next, right? And so to that end, you know, the idea is that these songs do need to be in many ways mimics of the originally recorded versions Mm, so mm -hmm. they do need to be pretty close they do need to be if not nearly identical which is itself an aesthetic exercise right yeah one of the things that i was really interested in was the the extent to which this mature vocalist could really step into the role of her younger self of a less mature vocalist of a less mature lyricist and really kind of recreate and rehearse this younger self, which I don't think is an easy thing to do. Right. She has a different voice now. She even talks about in the liner notes for this album, Speak Now, that she's addressing some of her critics who say that she couldn't sing and she went through extensive vocal training. So we have a different voice that is more robust. It's just simply more mature. Right. And so it's like, what do you do with this, you know, mature sensibility now going back and needing to, in many ways, replicate the version of your artistry that is of its time. Maybe we can hear a few examples. Like when she recorded the album originally, she was between 18 and 20, and she recorded the re-recording at 32. I, I hear a lot of differences. Like, like take the story of us. Here's the original. Here's Taylor's version. Now I'm standing alone in a crowded room and we're not the story of us is about teenage romance. And I think you could have an argument about I prefer the more constrained, youthful vocal. I really enjoy the emotional performance on Taylor's version which is more guttural, there's rasp in it. It actually feels looser, even though she's a more trained vocalist at this point. Yeah, it feels it feels warmer, rounder. I think it preserves, right, that sense of exuberance, that Disney Channel sort of like toe-tappery-ness. And yet, you know, in the original, there's a lot of that, like the vowels are very... Like on that, like she has like on that, you know, second syllable of you know the ing, right? It's like eh, it's really like kind of like eh sounding. On the original, I feel like there is a lot more twang on the album because she still very much is in the world of country. She's following up Fearless, which is like the biggest country album of all time, basically, and. She still has this Pennsylvania girl affected twang, which you can hear that on Sparks Fly. Everything now, meet me in the pouring rain. Kiss me on the sidewalk, take away the pain. Got meow, ring, pain. <laughs> and when she does it now, It's still a country song, but the vocal styling is not straight ahead CMT country. Right. I love twangy Taylor, but it does reinforce 
perhaps is this like the version or the older version if that's kind of what she thought a sort of countryfied accent is supposed to sound like which is like leaning <laughs> sure, super right. hard into these vowels and so a little mm-hmm. bit like by comparison does feel like oh you know in addition to being you know younger and not having as as much vocal training it is a little bit like you can feel the cosplay maybe yeah. <laughs> of the of the accenting in the older songs plenty of folks have written that she is not the first person to re-record her music she may be getting the most press for it i think part of that has to do with the fact that a lot of re-recordings often done for similar reasons wanting to maintain ownership get get the rights to the master recordings of an album most of these recordings are not huge successes like take for example def leopard when they re-recorded Pour Some Sugar On Me in 2012. Now, just to get our ear into the great vibe of that song, we'll listen to the original from 1987 first. And here's how they butchered that classic in 2012. It's like bad tribute band released an mp3 cover in 1997 it is not good it's like somehow like thin and like empty or something yeah totally and they're not alone have you ever heard gloria Gaynor's re-recordings of i will survive i i don't believe i have or not on purpose (laughs) we all of course know the original Okay, and then here's the re-recording. I'll give her a strong performance, but the song literally feels like it moved from the 70s into the 80s, which it did, and it's just like, I want the 70s original. Right, it's not like bad, it's just not the other one, literally. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just like definitively not the same song. It's actually probably, I would say it's a good 80s update cover of the original. Taylor is doing something else because I think her recordings are unbelievably, in most cases, true to the original, but they sound bigger. For me, I think of them as like the IMAX version of Taylor's recordings where there is more spaciousness. You can pick out the individual instruments more clearly the high end is higher. The low end is bigger. My engineer friend, Jesse Cannon, says that it's got a smile curve to it. Like if you look at the EQ curve of like the lows, the mids and the highs, the lows and the highs are boosted like a smile. And you can hear this like right at the top of the album on the song Mine. Here's the original. Classic. Good. Love it. And Taylor's version. It's like there's been a veil over the original recordings and she's taking it off because the production value is just that much more polished and beautiful. And you can you can literally see everything now. I I love it for that purpose. And if you're listening on a good set of headphones or a, a decent stereo system, the new recordings just I think they sound better in most cases. I agree. It sounds really good. This is going to be like a strange comparison in terms of makeup. People are always searching for 
your lips but better which is like not a nude <laughs> lipstick but it's just like your natural color but it's like a little bit better right and and in a weird way this album is speak now but better it's it's taylor's version it's like the telos of what speak now mm. was ever sort of meant to be i feel like a big part of what's giving us that sound is how this album was made because originally she worked with her earlier longtime contributor, Nathan Chapman to record this in his studio where they made a bunch of demos. And then he later went out and worked with studio musicians to replace the artificial drums that he had put in, for example, and really make the album larger than life. And the process worked. I mean, the album was definitely a success. This time around, though, the musicians behind the album are her touring band, the group that they call themselves The Agency. And they have shedded these songs so much over the last decade or more, right? In the same way that she has a stronger, more worked out vocal, this band knows these songs better than anybody. And I think you really get that live in the studio feel which you want from her more country-oriented albums. That is the sound that we need, I feel like. Right. Speaking of the vocal, which we've done a lot, I think it's necessary that we listen to the core moment about the criticism of her singing in the song Mean. Here's her in the original version. I think here she's proving that she can sing and she really does want to show us that she has got a powerful vocal because she shows all of it off right here in the final chorus. I'll be living in a big old city and all you're ever gonna be is me. Yeah. And when she does that on Taylor's version, I feel like it's even bigger. And all you're ever gonna be is me. I love the big harmonies, even with the less affected vocal twang and a really pure country song. I love Mean. Mean is like my favorite song on this album. <laughs> it really just like does capture this like, I'll show you. It's like a little bit petty. It's a little bit snotty, but it knows it's doing that. And it's just like having fun <laughs> and like poking fun. And it's just like, I love that song so much. It's so fun to sing rousing good time <laughs> me yeah <laughs> this album overall was was not her biggest like mean is a song that's definitely stuck around back to december i think of all of her recordings is number 41 on her spotify streams enchanted is the biggest song in streams on this album it's her 18th most streamed song on spotify so in a lot of ways i think about this album as a fan favorite, you know, she's dropping it in the middle of a tour, which is really where she's trying to get the press like this. This album is not where she's trying to capture the narrative. It's all about the eras tour right now. Literally, the prime minister of Canada is tweeting at her, asking her to come to Canada on this tour. She's getting heads of state to talk to her. So this is, for me, a, a fan favorite album that has some fan favorite songs like Mean. Are there things that in revisiting you have found a new love for? I think one of the things about the album that originally made it not so much my favorite, the 
sort of juvenile feeling of the album now getting to return to it now with the both the <laughs> sort of safety of distance from yeah. not only the yeah. younger taylor but also myself as a younger person yeah. that it really does feel like it feels like performance and it feels like a little bit of cosplay in a way that's you know really fun and one of the things that maybe have us you know thinking about and reminded of is that you know of course it's all performance right yeah i think you've gotten to this point with taylor which has always been you know sort of present in her fandom of just giving these sort of hyper symptomatic readings of all of her songs <laughs> of you know yeah, linking yeah, yeah. this song to that person which like has never really been that interesting of a project to me like i don't care which one of the Same. sort of ex-boyfriends we're going to autobiographically sort of pin the content of this song to and 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 that's you know followed up the sort of taylor taylor's version of this album as well but i actually think it's it's just like more fun to think about the repeat motifs of of heartbreak and new love and and all of those things i think it's actually really fun to revisit it in this you know younger prism with a sort of more matured artist. I likewise am not that into the celebrity gossip of it all. The thing that I really most enjoyed about revisiting these albums was not the celebrity gossip piece. I feel like I got to see how she has developed, not just as a vocalist, but also as a melodist. She really gets the country Nashville styling of a song. And in a certain way, some of these songs actually, for me, start to blend together. She has this way of singing simple melodies that kind of repeat and repeat and repeat with more obvious Nashville-style rhymes in the chorus. You could, for example, take Mean. Speak Now. And Superman. And they could all exist in this meta mashup. It's really great, but it's so different than how she styles her melodies today. I feel like if you listen to Karma in comparison. She's doing a similar thing of using like one guide melody note that she's hanging on, but there's so much more sophistication within the structure of the melody. She starts with this little motif. Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is a god. Karma is a god, but it comes in later in the bar. And then she repeats it again, but keeps on going. Karma is the breeze in my hair on the weekend. And weekend is the same pitch as boyfriend that we heard at the beginning. So she's kind of taking this motif, developing it, extending it, and folding it in on itself in all these different ways that it is, for me, the ultimate earworm because it's both unpredictable and totally simple at the same time. Karma is 
she has evolved so much in the arc of her songwriting career. So to hear Karma on the radio right now and then go back to speak now, you're hearing this unbelievable evolution of over a decade of songwriting. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until four, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. In Taylor's version, she's not just reflecting on her past. She has made a few small changes. Most talked about is an updated lyric on the song Better Than Revenge. Do you want to set that one up for us? Better Than Revenge is, you know, I, I guess we could say one of those songs that thematically has maybe not aged so well. It's... right sort of lyrically about this idea of, you know, another woman has taken your man. Very classic problem in, in many all kinds of songwriting, you know, not just country music, but, you know, it's, yeah. it's you know, the whole world run, right? It's a trope. It's a, it's a trope. <laughs> the, so the lyric goes... She's not a saint and she's not what you think She's an actress well. but she's better She's not a saint and she's not what you think. She's an actress. Whoa, whoa. She's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. Whoa, whoa. And so in Taylor's version, we have changed the latter portion of that phrase. And so instead we have... He was a moth to the flame. She was holding the matches, hmm. which is this sort of explicit reference to misogyny of those yeah. earlier lyrics. How do you feel about uh, this update? So I'm of two minds about it. I think broadly, as we are progressively thinking back and sort of reevaluating the way that music can promulgate harmful ideas and by harmful ideas. One thing that sort of worries me is that I feel like a lot of the the sort of gut response to that is to efface history rather than sort of reincorporating our sort of complex understanding of the sort of import of ideology and music into 
our sort of understanding and into the sort of overturning of musical history and things like that, which is, I think, maybe like a kind of like really (laughs) convoluted way of, of maybe like accusing Taylor of being a little bit embarrassed, right? And rather than sort of do what maybe feels icky and, and sort of re-recording these lyrics that she no longer believes in, we're going to change them. And that's like the kind of, I, I think like the least sort of generous reading yeah. of, of, the, of the switcheroo. And then, on the, you know, on the other side, I think about, so, you know, I'm a writer. I, I wrote a book of, you know, modest, modest readership and modest, modest in terms of audience. Great book. Thank you. But I mean, if I had or would ever have the opportunity to re-release it or do another edition or something like that, like, are there things I would update and change? Like, absolutely. And that it doesn't even have anything to do with a kind of like retrograde thinking, but just the fact that I'm smarter than I was in, in 2019. So I'd want to reflect my smarter self. Mm. And so I think artists deserve that prerogative. It's just difficult when the whole purpose of the exercise, right, again, is a, is a sort of almost replacement Yeah. such that when I want to reach for better than revenge, like I should be reaching for Taylor's version. So Taylor can get my streams and and money, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But then when we, you know, when we change a lyric, what is the kind of limit of the amount of alteration that a project like this can sustain? I think the vast majority of people are like not going to care. Like, I don't think it's either like a feminist victory or a kind of like, artistic for anything like that more interesting i guess it than sort of evaluating the maneuver itself is to sort of think about what the limits of updating a new work while it's still sort of being true to its old self what those are i think i take no issue with people revisiting old recordings of taylor's and engaging with that material and reliving how it might feel to be an imperfect teenager I think the operative word in the re-recording is Taylor's version. And if this is her version now, then it makes sense that you might want to clean things up. Just as you said, like if you released your book, Lauren's version, you're like, oh, it's going to be different. And if I can give it the most generous reading, I actually think that she has to a certain degree improved the lyricism. Originally, we get she's not a saint and she's not what you think. She's an actress. Okay, so that's kind of the setup, right? And then you have a ton of words you don't need. She's better known for the things that she does. In the update, she, I think, adds simply more imagery. He was a moth to the flame. She was holding the matches is more visually evocative than she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. She has given us not just the same rhyme scheme, but she has given us mattress to matches. She's doing a little bit of a flex here, saying, look, I know how to write a lyric. I can even update my own. I think I can improve it. Right. I don't think it changes the kind of like internal affect and constitution of of the song really. Above all, I think it's given a lot of folks with PhDs a a lot to think about in the rewriting of history. (laughs) Yeah. 
engaging with the idea, I think, is important. Yeah, I like I think ultimately my like actual opinion is like it's not that deep, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're dipping our toes a little bit into what isn't working, but I'm curious for you, are there other things in this Taylor's version that doesn't hit? I will just say that the Speak Now Toes version is very long. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like that's like not a very sophisticated criticism. And it is... We got an hour and 44 minutes here. Right. And also like as a maybe sort of self-identified Swifty, it's like, why would you not want more from an artist that you like? And yet there is something that I don't know. It 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 starts to maybe a little bit dilute the project with all of these songs mm. coming out of the vault. Some of which I, I you know could kind of take or leave. I mean, like I think Electric Touch. I think the Fallout Boy song is fun. And yet. I don't I don't think it's like an essential part of this this project exactly mm. and I actually feel the same way about the Haley Williams feature too. To I love the idea of putting these artists together, but I think as the album just like starts to go on it it ceases being yet another sort of tight study of a kind of like post adolescence um and instead becomes yeah yeah um long <laughs> i feel like the streaming era actually does this bonus material a disservice because back in cd times when we fell in love with taylor you would have had a bonus disc and you kind of could interact with that on its own and there's no break between the album and the bonus material. I really like this idea of them like being on like a bonus CD versus being like tacked on to yeah. the end of this album. You know, I think when Emma falls in love, I think is really cute. When Emma falls in love, she paces the floor, closes the blinds and locks the door. I love when Taylor sings about her friends yeah. about like observations about like women when emma falls in love she calls up her mom jokes about the ways that this one could go wrong we're not from the perspective of the sort of like i protagonist i mm, find so right. yeah i find that one really really sweet i think some of these bonus ones like that song though also point to some of the youthfulness of the lyrics like i think it is a sweet song it's also not her strongest chorus that she's ever written it's kind of a bunch of non sequitur rhymes that just kind of sound nice together but don't put you in a place It's a catchy melody, but totally disconnected ideas. She's a kind of book you can't put down as one metaphor. Then she's Cleopatra in a small town as another idea. Then there's these good boys. And to understand her, you have to love her. I wish I was her. And uh, it's just like, it's not doing a lot. Yeah, that's what I mean by like fearless B-sides. Like it does feel like, again, it kind of still feels like that. Like we're still in that town vibe energy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It, it, It is definitely in the 
country vibe. It's doing that right. thing. You know what is not in the country vibe, though? The song, I Can See You. This is like Taylor Swift's London Calling. I don't know how fans of The Clash would feel about this comparison. Yeah, I got like a, I got like a coastal 70s vibe somehow. Yeah, it's got these like 12 string guitars. It feels very much like driving coastal California music. That exactly. I have a couple of things that aren't working for me on the album. The first is that on the original, she's credited with, of course, singing and then playing guitar, banjo and hand clapping. And yet on Taylor's version, she's only credited for her voice. Where is the hand clapping? No hand And the guitar and the banjo. Now, Taylor's extremely busy. She's doing all of this amongst the biggest tour in the world. I'm actually amazed that she got this album done at all. Now, for the most part, I really enjoy all of the vocal updates. I like the new Taylor voice. I think it's stronger. There are a few cases where I actually think there's some audible errors. Like in Back to December, first let's listen to the original. I love that breathy goodbye on the original, but check out Taylor's version. You gave me all your love and all I gave you was goodbye. Do you hear that? Goodbye. <laughs> there is this scoop. Goodbye. Now look, every contemporary pop record has vocal tuning on it to improve the performance. I have no problem with this. I do take issue with a song which is supposed to be an organic record that isn't supposed to sound tuned when there is an obvious little artifact of that tuning. It sounds like that pitch was not correct. It started lower. It went high and hit the proper pitch. But all of the in-between doesn't sound right. To me, that is just like a, a forced error that should have been fixed and did not need to end up on this record, and if this is Taylor's version, if this is the new definitive, I want it to be error-free. Right, and that actually kind of reminds me, Taylor Swifty scholars notice on Last Kiss, Taylor's version had a lack of what people are calling breathiness or even shakiness. And I hope the sun shines and it's a beautiful day and something reminds you wish you had stayed that has also been a kind of interpretation of a sort of lack of real feeling you know a sort of imperfect lack of perfection or, or something like that yeah where you know the original is whether sort of real or feigned or performed i mean it's all performed right but you know you can actually kind of hear the emotion and the sort of wavering and the breathiness sort of works for the feeling of the song and i hope the sun shines and it's a beautiful day and something reminds you you wish you had stayed you can play for me it's like really on day like right after day there is like this shaky breathy conclusion to the word and it's a beautiful day and something i think the re-recording is technically 
sort of better or more precise to kind of close off the sound. And I hope the sun shines and it's a beautiful day and something reminds you you wish you had stayed. You can plan But there is something like a little unpolished that works about the original. That might be because the original vocals were primarily her demos that she recorded. Sometimes the first or first couple of performances capture that raw, unguarded quality that you want in pop music. And as you get to know your song better and improve at it, you kind of have to perform those moments more rather than just let them be uncertain. One of the things I have been really interested with Taylor over the past few years is her development as a vocalist. One of the things I really enjoy about the recent albums, not the re-recordings, is her willing to get more creative with her voice, uglier with her voice, to be kind of deliberately grating (laughs) at times versus (laughs) the criticism that she's gotten and that she's referencing in albums like Speak Now of, of being accused of, you know, not being a great singer, et cetera. And so there is a no pun sort of fearless hmm. kind of performing ugliness and not sort of technical perfection that is of course very technically difficult to do as a singer yeah. and so in stepping back to speak now i do think it a little bit is a kind of off of that sort of track of kind of needing to be replicating the old with the kind of wisdom of the new that isn't as risky as maybe some of her Mm. latest work. To close out, I want to look at how is it going for Taylor and what we think we're going to see next, at least what we hope to see next. I did a little bit of digging and was surprised to see just how successful these re-recordings have been. We've seen plenty of press, but... When I log into Chartmetric, a site that looks at all streaming everywhere and puts it on nice, easy to interpret graphs, you'll see that the re-recordings of her biggest songs are growing much faster in listens than her earlier recordings. Music Business Worldwide reported Taylor Swift's Taylor versions re-records may be exceeding even her high expectations. They said that according to data from Luminate that the 2022 Red Taylor's version was played 961 million times, while in the same year, the original Red was played 254 million times, down 41% year over year from 432 million plays in 2021. That is bonkers to me. How should we think about the phenomenon of the success of these albums? I mean, mission accomplished. Those numbers are so mind-boggling. It's hard to even... (laughs) We use the word unprecedented willy-nilly, but I do think we're, like, treading that territory, right? Like, this is a level of pop stardom that it is actually hard to kind of wrap your mind around. I mean, that's just, like, thinking in terms of, like, listens. That doesn't even account for right the tour itself the the discourse for better and for worse yeah. and and just like all of the kind of attendant auxiliary fanfare that's accumulated 
just around, again, re-recordings of albums that already happened, moments that already happened. (laughs) Right, right, right. right. So I I feel like this raises a big question about where it can go because the first re-release, there's all the press about, oh, re-releasing your music. She really owned the narrative about ownership. And then when Fearless came out, it had one pivotal song all too well, the 10 minute version that had this music video celebrity in it, it was this whole, you know, celebrity gossip and the whole blah, 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 blah. It captivated a lot of folks. Now she's at her peak in terms of media awareness, but largely because of this tour. And I think that Speak Now is, again, a smart album to release at this moment because it's not being buried by the tour, but it's not the album that I think people are looking for the most. Maybe fans are looking for the most. So good timing. Where where can you go from here, right? She has three more records, her debut self-titled, 1989, and Reputation. What do you think we're going to hear? What do you want to hear? And what can she do with it? So I'm really excited for us as a community to reevaluate the importance of Reputation as an album. It will be interesting to revisit that album absent the political era in which that album came out. Right. Which I thought... 2017, right after a major political campaign. Right. New president, we have to get into it. That album, I think, got unfairly sort of imbricated in a lot of elsewhere sort of turmoil that was like happening at the time. And if part of the mm. kind of project of revisit revisiting the albums is to revisit the music. Mm. I also say that Taylor has been very smart about the timing of the re-releases. And she sort of finds a thesis with each album that does Mm. sort of keep us paying attention such that it's not just a Mm -hmm, revisitation mm -hmm. of what came before. And so I am kind of interested to see what her theses will be for these remaining albums. I do not doubt at all that she'll she'll find a way to create moments for these these next albums. I think the only real kind of open question to me is what happens with self-titled? It's just like kind of <laughs> Yeah, with the debut album. Yeah. Hang. <laughs> <laughs> and like I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure fans are clamoring but is it guaranteed that she's going to re-release that one you know it's probably the commercially least important right it gets fewer streams than other 1989 or reputation which of course were both released in the streaming era and so those are some of her most streamed albums she has the most to gain financially from those albums i think the real question is really how she addresses the material with these country-ish albums and her sort of turn to to pop but with still some country stylings and reb she has this organic band that like it makes a lot of sense to to update it make it sound more hi-fi imax version of taylor swift you probably could assume the same thing for the self-titled but because it's her most youthful voice i kind of hope that we'll hear some more reimagining and it probably because of its less essential commercial nature it might merit it. The real question marks, though, for me are are the, the the two big albums, 1989 and Reputation. These are pop albums. And how does she go about redoing these? 
where they are sample based, they're synthesizer based. Yeah, these are my two favorite albums. They sound so, they do sound crisp, they do sound perfect. In contemporary pop music, it's really important to get the sounds right. Like if the sounds are different, like the Gloria Gaynor that we played earlier, you're just like, the reverb on the drums is wrong and it sounds like 1980s, it's a different song. It's a harder task, I think, to update contemporary pop music and keep you in the same vibe. Where it could work for me is that I actually really love when big pop songs go on the road and finally get a band. And sometimes they actually the band can add more to it. So I don't know. I guess if, if I had my way, I would like to hear a little bit more of this this great touring band on her pop albums. But I'm really curious, as as you shared, how is she going to own the narrative of each of those releases so that it is yet the next big thing that we can talk about. She will find a way. Isn't, isn't that what she always she- does? <laughs> Lauren, it's been so much fun. Thanks for talking, Taylor. Anytime. I hope you come back. <laughs> Switched on Pop is produced by Rihanna Cruz, edited by Art Chung, engineered by Brandon McFarlane, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, Community management by Abby Barr. Our executive producer is Nashat Kurwa, a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. You can find more episodes of Switched On Pop at our website, switchedonpop.com. On social media, we are at Switched On Pop, including now on Threads. If you want to follow Lauren Michelle Jackson, she is Pros Before Bros. That's Pros, the letter B, the number four, the letter B R O S. If you want more on Taylor's versions re-recordings, I was recently on the Pop Pantheon podcast hosted by DJ Louis the 14th. It's a very comprehensive look at all of the re-recordings and it's a lot of fun. I'll share that in the show notes. We'll be back again next Tuesday with a look into the past. We'll be listening to 100 years of Louis Armstrong. And until then, thanks for listening. matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.